Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello everyone, I'm Christine Patterson from Field Partner, lifelong cross-cultural missions worker and trainer. I'd like to welcome you to this interview today with Simon Gilbert. Simon happens to be my nephew and my godson, but more importantly, he's the founder and international director of Great Lakes Outreach, an organization that's doing fabulous work in Burundi, which is in the heart of Africa. He's the fourth generation of my family to serve in the Great Lakes area of Africa, where I was born. First my grandparents, then my parents, then my older sister Meg, and finally Simon. I'd love you to go on his website, www.greatlakesoutreach.org, and check out the amazing things he and his past partners are involved in, serving often the very poorest in the very poorest nation on earth, or certainly one of them. Okay, let's jump into the interview today. Simon, thanks so much for sparing the time. Let's start at the beginning. Unlike your dad and me, you weren't born in Burundi. So where were you born and what other countries did you live in growing up? Uh, so I was born in Sussex and then uh, my dad was a missionary kid gone wrong at that stage. And uh, he was in business, not that business is wrong, but uh, he, he wasn't uh, following Christ at all at that stage. Then I moved to Algeria when I was three. So from three to six in Algeria, dad was a, with an American consultancy firm, then from six to 12 in Paris. So in God's providence, I went to a French school and spoke French fluently. So when I was eventually called to Central Africa, I could preach straight away. And then I went to boarding school from the age of 10 while still living in Paris. And so, yeah, a, a number of nations. And then, yeah, then we lived west of London. And uh, I don't know how much detail you want, but when I was 18, I spent a year off in South Africa. And, you know, got, that was a very difficult experience, crushing loneliness in the middle of nowhere with waking up with a rat in my armpit and baboons tearing down my heart. And um, for, a, for a, you know, real extrovert, that was very, very challenging. But that was where my faith, having given my life to the Lord when I was 15, it came alive, you know, theory to right. practice and crucible of challenge and suffering when I was 18, 19. Right, because so nobody would have thought when you were in your mid-teens that you would land up as a, as a um, missionary in Burundi. So tell us how you, what your faith journey, how you came to know the Lord. Uh, so I'd credit my mum as being my biggest influence. So she sort of forced me off on a Christian camp when I was 15 and I was like, I don't want to go. And she said, look, I'll only make you go once and then you never need to go again. And I came back saying, I'm going every, every Easter and every summer for the rest of my life. And I, I managed that for 10 years. So I did camps, Easter and summer with this, this scripture network of camps for 10 years. And it was absolutely foundational to my faith. And I sort of lose it, you know, lose, lose it completely, but you know, I'd, end up with a very compromised witness um, each time within a few weeks, but there was this deep residual deposit there. And it was when I was 18, when I was really, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't a massive drug dealer or anything, but uh, my dad did bust me for drugs just before going to Africa. And I nailed that drug issue, if you like, and, and I dealt with it, which is important because out there I would have done it the whole time because I was so bored and lonely. Um, and it just meant that I, I was really set on fire. I, I had a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. 
um, and and it meant that I came back after my gap year, really on fire for university. Right. Um, so at some point you did a a team with my with Debs, our eldest, the tracks team. Tell us about that because she said when she saw after you arrived in Rwanda and she saw you kind of engaging immediately, she said she knew that you were called, whereas she knew she wasn't. So how did that feel for you? So, I mean, it was an amazing experience. We, uh, cut long story short, 12 of us ended up taking a truck from Wales to Kenya. Uh, so through 15 countries, this was pre 9-11 and, you know, sleeping on the side of the road in Muslim countries. And I mean, it was amazing through the Middle East. Um, and we dumped the truck in Kenya with an evangelist there. And then Debs and I got on a Matatu, uh, went across to Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, back up to Rwanda, basically doing the family roots thing. Um, and I thought, you know, my heart was for unreached people groups. And I thought, I'd, you know, these, these are evangelized nations. I'll, I'll never, you know, it's good to see where great grandfather was buried. Uh, and yeah, I didn't think I'd ever end up going back there because, you know, the church in Rwanda and Burundi is quite strong. I mean, mm. certainly numerically. Uh, and so I left there thinking, no, I'm not going to go back. But there was an affinity. There was a, yeah, I, I just felt very relaxed there. Interestingly enough, Devs and I spent most of our time in Rwanda. And Rwanda and Burundi used to be called Rwanda Rundi. Uh, but I felt much more of a connection when I went to Burundi. And, um, and, and, and now, you know, I, I've almost, I haven't got an antipathy towards Rwanda, but I'm, I'm slightly bitter, if you like, towards Rwanda because. Uh, Rwanda is 30 years ahead of us in Burundi and uh, out of the guilt response the genocide gets literally 10 20 30 times more input money and missionaries and you know um, Rick Warren purpose-driven nation thousands of Bazungu white people coming in trying to help us up and Burundi is like Burundi even means the other it's like it's the other place the forgotten place and Burundi is so much poorer and so much more desperate so I I don't feel at all a passion for Rwanda like really not at all and I feel utterly passionate about Burundi. It's been my life and I thought I'd die there. Right, even to the point of taking out Burundi citizenship, isn't that right? Did yeah, you? Yeah. So, so our family of five of only about 10 white Burundians in the world. Yeah, I'm very proud of it because, you know, you know, when you show your passport, people just love it. And uh, it's a real gate opener because Burundians by the hundreds of thousands are trying to leave, literally, <laughs> and get passports for Belgium or Canada. And so I'm saying, no, I want to be here. I want to be part of this solution. Amazing. So after you did theological training and mission training, which order? And then which year did you actually go to Burundi finally? After university, I did a one-year preaching course called Cornhill in London with Proclamation Trust, which is a great outfit, a conservative evangelical outfit, which is not, strictly speaking, how I'd identify myself. Then after three years in Burundi, uh, preempting burnout, the mission society that rejected me uh but was kind of holding me vaguely to account as a volunteer <laughs> said you're going to burn out so that's another story uh you're going to burn out so why don't you come back for a year and so preempting burnout i mean they were nutty days those first three years 1999 so i came back went to all nations big fan of all nations what they've done at the end of that year uh, met my future wife she was visiting went back out for a year we got engaged at christmas and then and then my first year of marriage, just just to show her that she was more important to me than Burundi, uh, she was marrying into Burundi on every level. It's all on my terms. So I spent we spent our first year of marriage back at All Nations doing a master's in missions. But you know, it wasn't about getting a master's. It was about uh, showing her that she was loved and precious. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, your, your partnership with Lizzie's is one thing. That, t tell us about, um, how, you've got three kids, right? Um, how, how has it affected them being around in Burundi? And especially uh, when, the, when things begin to hit the fan. I mean, that must be pretty tough to have kids around. Yeah, well, praise God. Uh, um, so, you know, when I proposed to Lizzie, I said, are you ready to be a young widow? So that's not your average proposal. It was, <laughs> it was a, you know, the most, dangerous, most dangerous country in the world back in the end of the noughties and, uh, well, end of nineties and then beginning of 2000s. So um, that was very, very real, but she bought into it. And then you get these three little kids and they haven't signed up for uh, a conflict zone. Um, so they've all, you know, now they're 14, 12, 11. We've had, we've been back in England a year. We've had psych evaluations. There's no damage there. They've had a bit of gunfire. They, they, you know, had a, a few sketchy sort of semi-violent incidents that we were able to just about protect them from what was really going on. But, you know, but yeah, people were killed around us, um, some heavy stuff. But, um, um, and I've got, you know, I've got you know, beautiful stories, which we probably haven't got time for, of, of the Lord intervening and, uh, and, so by his grace, you know, missionaries, we're not immune to horrible things happening. By his grace, in our case, our cases, um, it was an unequivocal, unequivocally brilliant experience for the family. I mean, not many people can say that, can they? Um, yeah. we, we left, we left, I mean, there's lots of pain and brokenness because if, if you care for people, and, you know, there was conflict and people I care about were killed and stuff like that. But for the kids, they had a lovely um, you know, wholesome uh, network of friends. They didn't have screens. Beautiful, uh, and and they were they they had an outdoor life and uh, lots of travel, lots of you know lots of holidays, nipping over to the beach in Tanzania or whatever. Road trip to the Serengeti, you know. I mean, it's stuff that you couldn't uh, normal people don't get the chance to do. So for them, uh, particularly as soon as they got back, they really missed it. But. Again, God's grace has been incredibly smooth transition. This fabulous school, Monks and Cunha Bar, loving it. So we just praise God. I think um, we are amongst the most prayed for missionaries in the world. I know, amazing. Um, and, and so, uh, and I think, you know, the outworking of that prayer, if we believe in the power of prayer, there's a lot of people praying, and there's been fruitfulness. Mm. And, and so, and, and for anyone who's thinking about going in the mission field in general, you know, I'm like, I cannot understand what missionaries say. And I get a letter from a missionary, a prayer letter saying, oh, I'm sorry, I've been too busy to write this for the last eight months. Uh, you know, so I'm like, dude, if we believe prayer is the most important thing, that is your number one priority to alert people about what's going on. And, yeah. and you're not prioritizing it. That's probably why you're burnt out in your marriages is, is, is mm. and your kids are off taking drugs or whatever. And so I feel really strongly about that. Right, right. So backtracking, tell us, because um, you, you started out, I mean, tell us about the days with Freddie. Because that, I think, then led to lots of other partners that you've had over, over the years. I mean, you now have a lot of partners who are part of um, GLOW. And then tell us what the, um, your mantra is with GLOW. So that, you know, that I think conveys the vision very clearly as to what you're about. Yeah. I mean, when I first went out in 1998, my, my, if I articulated my vision, and I, you know, I'm a product of conversion through Scripture Union, so I want to work at Scripture Union, you're... Dad, my granddad founded Scripture Union Rwanda. Uh, so I wanted to work with Scripture Union because I'm not a denominational person at all. Uh, you know, church capital C, Kingdom capital K. I wanted to work with the youth nationwide 
and and it was very convoluted and beautifully god ordained how he released me to work for scripture union in burundi but i would have articulated my vision in those early years as as um being part of the transformation of the youth nationwide, being the present and the future of the nation, raising up a new generation, marching to the beat of a different drum, not being into nepotism, ethnic hatred, corruption, that sort of stuff. That was my articulated version, uh, vision for the first three years. Then the biggest takeaway of my year back in England, processing stuff, doing uh, a missions diploma at All Nations, biggest takeaway was Ephesians 4, and was it 12, 13, you know, the evangelist, apostle, pastor, prophet, teacher, their job is not to do the prophesying, evangelizing, teaching, pastoring, it's to equip God's people to do it and to multiply yourself out. And so I came back to Burundi and I thought, I mean, we, we you know, I, I, who knows, I might have preached and led 10,000 people to the Lord in the first three years, but like, how about if it's multiplication, then how about getting behind the best local leaders uh, of passion, integrity, gifting, and vision for the transformation of the nation and multiplying out instead of me doing it like a turbocharged headless chicken the whole time and maybe seeing whatever x thousand comes to the lord see hundreds of thousands come to the lord by by creating a thousand black simon simones who are way better than me because it's their culture context proverbs etc and so now i mean what became very organic was that I, well the birth of glow it's funny um i had become an al-qaeda suspect because um basically what? I, I wrote an email in which I was feeling utterly overwhelmed and crushed. And this email I wrote out saying, guys, look, I'm, this is just so that you know, this is what I'm kind of carrying and the pressures I'm under. I'm working at Script Union. They're doing this, that, the other, you know, family ministry, Bible reading notes, schools evangelism, pastor training. Uh, but I'm also supporting this orphanage over there. And I'm involved in this street kids project. And we've got this AIDS project. And the, the result of, of that email was about 100 people on the spot pledging £50, $30, 50 whatever, a month. And all that came onto my account. And then my record was flying out of the UK. I mean, twice I did it, seventy-eight, $77,000 in my bum bag or my fanny pack. And, uh, and that was a stereotypical profile of an Al-Qaeda mule. But, you know, lots of small sums coming onto one account and then taking out massive sums. So we got some fishy calls saying, who the heck are you? And once they established that I was vaguely kosher, they said, could you set up a charity? And so that was the birth of Great Lakes Outreach. Right. Um, so Freddie, who was with, with me at Scripture Union, he was my absolute brilliant soulmate. And we started on nothing. When I, when I arrived there, he'd been fasting pretty much for three years. He said, I might have a hunk of bread on a Thursday, a cup of tea, someone might give me a cup of tea on Monday. I was living by faith. I had one pair of underwear, one, one pair of trousers, etc." Uh, and, and I arrived and it's all, the Lord gave us each other and we bombed around. I mean, I started a bicycle, um, uh, you know, which I borrowed off a missionary up the hill. And then within a few months, the Lord released some money and got a motorbike and with Freddie went to the market, bought matching shades for a dollar each. And then we blasted up into the hills, the most dangerous roads in the world, preaching and, and, and singing in our helmets saying, if we die right now, what a great way to go. I mean, they were wild days and we saw so much fruit. And then he went off and started Youth for Christ. So I wanted to support him. And he was pushed out by a very dysfunctional leader that we had at Scripture Union, who we prayed out. Uh, and now we've got, for the last 15 years, we've got a great leader, 18 years. Uh, and then, the, the, you know, to, to be full, full disclosure, the orphanage are supporting <laughs> absolute disaster in terms of the lady ended up going to prison and all sorts of stuff. No. Um, but out of Youth for Christ came three orphanages that are absolutely beautiful. And I know there's lots of, controversy on you know, mission theory and orphanages these are absolutely brilliant they're so loving family units that uh, sort of get alongside them um and then muslim muslim outreach has passionate involved in that and then the, the campus sort of local branch of ifes international fellowship we've done with students 
and then yeah i mean the streak is project more formal formalized so then my vision articulated now would be to identify empower and equip the best local leaders of passion integrity gifting and vision for the transformation of the nation bottom up and top down so you know Brilliant. 18 17 years on uh, unbelievably beautiful stuff that that we're seeing happen in about you know in terms of what's hungriest country in the world at the moment it might be a second or third forest but it's about as struggling humanitarian speaking um so that's not it's not a persecution challenge it's not a persecuted church set up but but um there's 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 so many obstacles um some of which you know I wouldn't talk about on this as you can imagine uh, mm. Mm. but um that there's there's a lot of incredible fruit some of god's best troops are in burundi we've got the privilege of coming alongside them that we're brothers and sisters we've we've counted the costs we've some of us have expected to die together we've had some close shaves other people got killed in the road and we got through uh life to the full that's what jesus promised in right so um you said that you you've been back in england now for a year um and you handed on the local side to onesco so um i mean i think that's i think the way you did that was brilliant uh, how did you identify him as the right person to to hand on to Well I met him in 2003 at a scripture youth camp that he was kind of comparing and uh, I sat next to him so I just he was just this skinny uh, I mean everyone's skinny in Brunei right apart from rich people because they they can't eat they're hungry and he was he didn't tell me but he was coughing up blood at the time because he didn't wasn't eating uh, but he'd compare this meeting some dynamo uh, and then I said you know so what are you up to and he already had a movement of people following him um and you know he only had one guy the ministry that he had started was 100 dollars a month their budget all from one bloke uh, who was tired from working at the UN and that 100 dollars was uh, the office in his bedroom um and and he had a whole bunch of people following him so i tracked with him they became one of our globe partners it's called it's called harvest initiatives through that ministry we've done a summer outreach 15 years it's the first year because of covid we didn't do it but in those 15 years we've seen 170,000 people come to jesus through you know that sounds could sound evangelistic those numbers are so big but if you think about 15 years times an average of 700 evangelists each summer times 14 days that's a lot of intentional outreach with church planting with casting out demons healing the sick which doctors could you know bearing the knee burning the chance publicly lots of demonstrations of kingdom power and he was the pioneer of all that Amazing. and so you know fast forward uh, let's say 12 years i had a five year phase out plan because one of my mentors would be a missionary's job is to do himself out of a job or certainly empower people to take over and i said to him will you take over for me in 5 years and he inside he is like no i'm a pioneer i'm not working for anyone but he's like yeah yeah maybe uh fast forward 5 years he it's a lovely story you know he he'd led a pastor's four out of a pastor's five kids to jesus you know rebellious uh pastor kids he'd led them and not just to Jesus but into leadership positions in the church and so that pastor was so grateful to God for an escort that he prayed and fasted for 40 days 40 days said lord give me a message 40 days i'm praying just to thank you lord and give me a message for an escort and after those 40 days that pastor didn't know me he didn't know that an escort well i mean an escort was running a thriving ministry so he didn't know and uh, this word is very specific the word was you are to he called an escort and he said look an escort the lord told me two things for you the first thing is that you are to leave what you're doing right now which in the natural didn't make sense running this superb organization that he started so you're to leave what you're doing and also secondly does this make sense he's given you a twin to change the nation with whose name is simon <laughs> so it's beautiful so 
So Ernesto was like, all right, Lord, well, you're in control. So I handed over the best case scenario. You can imagine it's always, you know, good theology mission to trying to build up the local church. I didn't want a white man taking it or a white lady taking it over from me. It was a, it's a, a, a local, honestly, not sort of false humility, way more um, gifted than me, but way more gifted than just about anyone I've ever met. So mm-hmm. that's the dream scenario, handing over to the person I can say, not disingenuously, the most gifted person I've ever met, and he's rocking it. And, and that's been, so he took over. Uh, two years ago we've been back in the country one year but we had uh, traveling in the meantime so and he's, he's taking it on he's taking it on to a new level and uh, it's beautiful amazing um well i'm i'm hoping that we'll be able to have on us for on one of these interviews as well hope he'll, he'll agree to do that um but tell us um about the mission congress because that's another part of his burden isn't it um yes so um tell us about that and then what's come out of it since yeah. So again, I mean, this is his idea. He was, he was like, he said to me, Simon, let's do it. Let's, um, you know, Burundi's received the gospel, depending on what you'd say, but probably a hundred years, hundred Catholics first got there in 1898. So 120 years, this was 2017. Um, Protestants a few years, maybe 1910 or something, 92, you know, give or take. And, um, and that, picture of the, the Dead Sea water coming in, no outlet, you know, we don't want to be the Dead Sea. Where healthy stuff is where there's a, there's a stream, there's a movement. So uh, we need to stop just receiving the gospel. We need to stop having that mentality that we're beggars receiving the whole time. We need to pass on the blessing, blessed to be a blessing. And, uh, and the church, the brilliant church, got no mission vision, evangelistic zeal, plenty, but not um, mission, not particularly an outreach to the unreached people group in Burundi, which we have reached called the Bethwa Pygmies. Um, who we've got beautiful outreach to and it's been costly long term and seen real significant fruit um, and so let's get mobilize the church together and script union sponsored it i mean glow sponsored it but it's under the auspices in country of script union and uh, but essentially it was it was glow partners coming together and and because of our history um which i think we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about in terms of uh, during the conflicts we had just had this this capacity and credibility and relational connectedness from having journeyed together for years in deep trust and fellowship that we're able to pull this off and get all the big players coming along, these bishops giving three days of their time uh, to invest in it. And it was like commissioning. We had about, I forget, maybe about 40 um, Burundians out of that. I mean, 300 came to the Congress, about 40 stood up, said, we want to go, we want to go to unreached you know, cross nations. I mean, our focus was to North Africa. Um, and, and then that, that's taken a while to get almost like uh, written papers of all the speeches together and, uh, and formulating it and getting a mission society released, launched. And, and that has now been registered. And it's a sort of umbrella for, for a whole bunch of churches that would want to subscribe to it. I mean, a lot of churches still don't get it, to be honest. And it's largely a poverty mentality, which you'd expect in, in, the, in the second poorest, hungriest, in the hungriest country in the world. So that's a challenge. And when we know often how much it costs to send workers, um, you know, I, I, I remember being in a church of a thousand people and, and the collection plate of a thousand people was $15 and I'd put in 10. So, you know, 999 people had given $5. Uh, so how are you possibly going to raise missionaries uh, you know lots of challenges but actually in the city that and, and actually sending them as um, 
embassy workers, NGO workers, all that sort of stuff, and mm. have create a creative mm. way of doing it, which we have done. Um, so, so yeah, no, very exciting, and uh, we're kind of just appointing someone this month to to, to be the uh, national director of that mission society. So it's it's early embryonic days, and it's been incubating, I suppose, for three years. That's great. Well, it was our joy to be there. I mean, I'll say that it was a, a surprise when. <laughs> Uh, you said that an S4 had invited Ross to come as the speaker, but um, to share his life life message, the Antioch message. Yeah, and that's lovely again, isn't it? So it was an S4. It wasn't me trying to get in my uncle to, uh, to, to talk. <laughs> it was an S4 who I had given the book to years ago, the Antioch Factor, and he'd, he'd really resonated with it. And an S4 has indeed, you know, because he's so turbocharged, one of the things he's done is in the last few years, he's launched uh, a group called Antioch Africa. So it's all very much uh, sort of you're on the same page with in terms of DNA and stuff. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, that, the other thing that really impacted me recently was hearing his passion for Europe, and you know, t pick, taking that um, his prayer, which I think you've got up on your website, and I'd love to have other people go and listen to it. Can you say more about that? Um, the the why he feels that he has such a passion for Europe. Well, there's a, just a gratitude there. So, I mean, you, you know, you could likewise stick it up on your, your channel here. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful prayer. So we, we do a weekly Zoom since lockdown, which is about 25 weeks or so. Um, and we just asked him to pray uh, on the back of having been in an intercessionary conference. There might have been a hundred of, of us on this Zoom from different nations. And he launched this unbelievable sort of anointed, heartfelt, tear-inducing uh, mm -hmm. for us. But also, you know, he was crying as he was weeping over... Europe saying, Lord, thank you so much. But they sent us the gospel. They, you know, came. They, some of them brought their coffins and they sacrificed so much. And now it's dead. And and yet, so I picture the what was it? Was it the Atlantic and the Mediterranean? And the Mediterranean, yeah. And, and waves lapping up the shore and stirring something new. And and uh, well, we we long for that, don't we? Because we need it. And we yeah. talked about the coldness of Canada and and North America and, and things stirring there as well. So. It was, yeah, he's got, I mean, it's interesting in God's sovereignty, isn't it? The, 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 the South, the global South, you know, their church is way stronger than us. And, you know, mm. the, the Chinese brothers and sisters way more zealous than us. Well, it was very touching to listen, I must say, really moving. Uh, yeah, so I will put that on the link below so you can have a look. Um, so then, um, well, let's backtrack a bit because this was 2017 the mission congress go back to 2015 and you know how you kind of consolidated all the partners was around the election back then and what was going on yeah so um 2015 was there's a five-year cycle of elections at the time it's just changed to seven but uh, um, and the, the, the president had had served two five-year terms uh and but coming out of war, the constitution said that it was two five-year terms elected by the people and his first year to five-year term had been elected by parliament. And so all the opposition said he's already had his two five-year terms, that's what the constitution says. And it, his people on his side said, well, no, he's only had one five-year term elected by the people. And on that ambiguity, a carnage. Um, overall, probably half a million people said lots of grim stuff that I don't want to talk about, you know, because yeah. uh, I want to carry on working in country, you can imagine. Um, but as it was kicking off, uh, I took, got together our key people in the conference center that we built there, King's Conference Center, and we had the holiest meeting of my life, at which we went around the table. And I said to them, you know, back in the last genocide, 1993, 
after the genocide that someone wrote a tract, where did the people of God go? And essentially that meant that the church in 1993 failed and it went to ground in fear. It kept its head down. People were dying. Hundreds of thousands were dying. And it, it just failed in its prophetic mandate to be willing to sacrifice itself and stand up for righteousness and critique what was going on. So with gunfire, with a burning barricade uh, up the road, uh, with our key guys gathered, uh, the holiest meet in my life, so we went around the table and said, what are you up for it? What, what are we going to do so? Is there going to be another tract written after 2015 saying, where did people go? And, you know, it was just, it was so, I, I can imagine, and not sadly, you know, never having a meeting as, as beautiful as that in my life again, because it was like, oh, we, we're all, we're all married with kids, you know, are we willing to pay the ultimate price for this? All right, you're the best at social media, loads of lies through WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, let's counteract those lies and send them social media. Can. You're, you're the best at, uh, militia you're the best at christian youth you're the best at pastors you're the best at uh, um, addressing the media so that you know the non-burnt down radio stations let's use those national tv um, let's produce seven thousand color tracks and non-violent idol society so we just called in different groups and the reason we could do it is because one of my mantras in life is everything is relationship and in a very low trust culture lots of suspicion and all the more at a time when it's all kicking off and whose side are you on we sort of claim that middle ground. We said we are apolitical in the sense that we're not supporting the third term or the second term, whatever you see it. We're claiming that sacred, that, that neutral space, and we will speak to both, coalescing around the shared values of sacredness of life, human dignity, compassion, Ubuntu, um, you know, what, what, what I do affects the community as a whole. Um, and, and, and so we blasted those values out and, and, yeah, you can imagine there's some stuff I can't share because it's very hard behind the scenes. But you know, it didn't. It didn't lead. You know, I never thought it was going to be genocide. A lot of people scare mongering about genocide, but you know, it didn't go down that and down that path. And it's hard to quantify what would have happened if we hadn't engaged. Right. But it was so beautiful. We'd been meeting for five years already. We'd have spousal retreats, and so that was that depth of trust and connectivity and relational. To, to make it work so it was beautiful and uh yeah some stories that we can't share even more beautiful. Mm. and you just had another um election and you did the same thing but uh, you know again we don't know what was avoided through that time but amazing yeah and what, well, what was interesting is that last time in the damage i suppose post damage we probably sunk in you know and we're not a massive charity but we probably sunk in three hundred thousand pounds worth of conflict resolution stuff and and forgiveness meetings and, mm. and so addressing the damage that had already happened whereas this time preemptively uh, engagement involved uh, i think only two people died in the elections people can't believe how peaceful it was mm. and it was totally not claiming all that glory for us you know the, hopefully millions of people pray. I mean, there's more than a million Christians in the country, you know, people were desperate, there were right. more bloodshed. Um, but we, we definitely had an important role through the very strategic levels of support we are putting in the country. Mm. Okay, well, one last question then. Um, I've heard you refer to um, the book that says helping without hurting or um, when helping hurts or something like that. Um, can you address that in terms of Burundi being one of the poorest nations in the world? And um, how, do you, how do you help 
in a way that is sustainable. I mean, actually getting people up on their feet, because I know that's your burden. And um, I guess you've seen the opposite. So I don't know what you want to say about that. I know you don't want to criticize, but, you know, just to bring... I'd, re I'd, I'd recommend people reading that book for, for a start. I mean, I'll share an example of my own life where when helping hurt, and that was in the early days, you know, literally my first day in Burundi, I bought some bread and took it to the street kids and they sort of mugged me and took everything off me. But I sort of became their friends or they became my friends and, and I felt good about myself and, and they would come to the office and be a bit of a pain at Scripture Union. But I felt good about myself. One time I was driving on the road and, 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 and as I was driving, I looked around and there were six kids in the back of the truck and they'd all jumped through the windows and I didn't even know it. You know, they're like my little buddies. Uh, but what I then realized was that all of them could have been at school and because well-intentioned muppets like myself were giving them bread and stuff like that, they were preferring to be on the streets and go to school. Helping was hurting. It wasn't, you know, being a benefit to them at all. They were missing out on their education. So that's a personal example. But, you know, when all these gazillions of, um, and actually less so in Burundi, but still we had some in Burundi, across in Rwanda, gazillions of teens showing up all the time, you know, missions trips, you know, it's a $2 billion industry in America. So when you, when you show up from whichever church and you do a VBS, you know, Vacation Bible School, and you got all the unbelievable props, you know, uh, and, and the Burundians that are doing the kids' work the rest of the year, they're just sat there thinking, well, that's, I'm not going to be able to replicate that. And that's, that's an impossible, uh, you know, level of expectation you're creating in our kids. They're going to find us so boring next week. And, and it's just not helpful. And mm -hmm. so we need to be thought through in our, in our, in our methodology. And, and, you know, my biggest disillusionment in Burundi ever came from, um, fellow whites, outsiders. I mean, I would consider, well, I'm still an outsider, I color my skin, but you know, we are Burundian now, but it's, um, it, because, because in a sense, I didn't expect any more on some level from guys that, I mean, half the country's got PTSD, you know, there's uh, so much damage from, from war that I think got the luxury of trying to address through counseling. But from us guys coming from the outside, there's such an onus on us to, to be well thought through and to come in in a, in a humble spirit and not to come in lording it over them and, or using financial manipulation to, to get our own ends. And so coming in to serve, coming to listen, what does partnership really look like? And by the way, loads of people do do it really well. Uh, so, you know, sadly, loads of people do it really badly, but it's not like I'm slating everyone coming from the outside because some people come in just really wanting to learn. And some nations, you know, I'm <laughs> thinking about some people naturally would come in with a more sort of arrogant can-do spirit because they come from a can-do nation that is used to getting things done. And others come, you know, come in more quietly. And uh, but um, you know, I was, you know, I shared one of my mistakes. I'm, I'm sure I made plenty of mistakes. But to have the humility to sort of really listen, uh, to not make, not create big expectations, to sort of underpromise and overdeliver, so much damage has come from outside. And people, and, and you know, we largely, if you're wealthier, you you come from a, a trust culture where, you know, I'll trust you with a thousand quid or a thousand bucks and and, and until you let me down, whereas I mean that's a crazy thing to give a guy whose salary has been a hundred bucks to give him a thousand bucks in one go and expect him to use that money as you've already decided to, because you know he's got a nephew who's ill in hospital with a six hundred dollar unpaid bill, and of course he's going to spend it on that. And then we think, how dare you? Uh, but that's bringing in our Western view of things, and uh, and you know actually much more healthy in general. To I'll trust you with a, a dollar and then ten dollars and then. And then a hundred and an S4, I will trust him with millions of dollars because you, know, you earn that trust and, and you earn the capacity to resist mm -hmm. temptation.
So there's, there's, that's, a, that's a whole minefield and, uh, and lots mm -hmm. to say on that. I don't know if I've addressed what you wanted. Well, no, I mean, the other thing is um, if, if creating a dependency culture, I suppose, is part of it, rather than yeah. enabling people to get up and because I think that's what that's what you've described, say, with the with the work among the Batwa. Yeah. So yeah, and, and and again, yeah, so many things just just um, just found it as soon as somebody you know if, if the, the funder is not satisfied with a report or anything, and we've all heard it, give a man a fish for a day, and give, teach him a fish, you can do it for a lifetime, and and. Uh, and yeah, you're wanting to empower people again. That's back to Ephesians four, isn't it? Whether it's the apostle, or whether it's the, the shoe maker, um, um, it's, it's it's giving tangible skills, and it's so, it's so difficult to do. I mean, sometimes this theory and practice there's a disconnect because it shouldn't be too difficult to do, and, and it's all about backing the right horses as well. And that's a challenge for, for people coming in from the outside. Is that you know. Uh, the, the advantage I had from living there is that I, I could observe and I knew the wolves in sheep's clothing. Whereas people coming from the outside, well, you know, this is my connect, connection and he could, he can show me what isn't even his orphanage. And he can, I'm not joking here, he can sire his own orphanage, his kids, he can have sex with loads of girls to have an orphanage that he can make loads of money from. You know, so he, but I, I would know that because I'm on the ground. Whereas I'll see these white people from America or England showing up and giving him money and I'm like, ah, and by the way, I did expose some of that stuff, but then because of death threats and potential, you know, my, my people like, it's not worth you dying for, that's gonna happen. Um, but by pastors, no less. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's so messed up. Mm. But yeah, you don't wanna create dependency. And I, we, for example, we built a conference center, which has generated tens and tens of thousands of dollars, but it's been very challenging, but that was with our most mature partner scripture union that we've been journeying with for 20 years we've done it really well but in a war zone conflict zone it's been really tough uh, we did a bus uh, a bus company project that didn't work we did solar ovens with bread making uh, didn't work so you know there's there's as many successes as failures we've done small incubator stuff but to people to pay their way through university with chickens and stuff that did work so um mm. yeah, you know creativity and empowering whatever way Partly trial and error, I guess. Um, okay, I just thought of one other question I do want to ask, which is, I mean, you, you did go to the field with some training. Um, you, you know that field partners started out of a passion in, our, in us for the pain of seeing people who didn't have training have a really hard time and struggle when they go, some not making it and so on. Um, you know, in other cultures, that's even more so. But um, I just wonder whether you can say what, how much you feel that um, training made a difference for you, cross-cultural training, I mean. Yeah, I, I'd be a massive advocate of training and, I, I, and that would be as much from the perspective of having spent 20 years out there and watching lots of uh, well-intentioned Muppets uh, come out and you might self-identify there as you're listening. Um, yes. you know, either you came back burnt out and recognized that you'd undervalued your training or, or you're about to go out and think, well, I, you know, the, the, the longer you're out somewhere, the more you realize the deep levels of complexity of culture. And, you know, mm -hmm. I still have sort of Kairos epiphany moments of, oh my goodness, that's why the last 19 years, you know, these things happened. You know, so we're always learning. And, uh, and I think 
all the more now we're a generation that undervalues training and it's all about instant results and instant gratification yeah. and instant fruit and you know Rome wasn't built in a day and you want to god can churn out a mushroom overnight but if he wants an oak you know it'll take 100 years over it and and you know it's it's like a if, if you're going to go out for a, a two-week mission trip don't go on a three-year de, you know degree but if you're thinking anything longer than you know a few months, then it's 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 definitely worth investing in training. And I don't think I don't think I ever heard someone say, "Oh, I wish I'd prepared myself less." And even with the training, there's still an awful lot that you that you have to learn when you get out there. But you know, at least get some modicum of understanding. The pain that you're going to cause yourself and the local church through through mistakes you're going to make. Yeah, yeah. it's all grace, isn't it? But there's, there's thought through, um, you know, getting the best that you can in, in preparation and, and then slapdash, gung ho, I'm just going to go out and change the world yeah. without you know, maturity. Okay, one last question about um, the effect of COVID and also about these Zoom prayer meetings that you've started. Can you just say a little bit about that in case people want to join? Yeah, so um, we were due to have a sort of a prayer meeting anticipation of the elections back in March and that weekend when um, lockdown happened. And so we just went to Zoom. I think we had a couple of hundred people on it, which is way more than we would have had coming in the flesh for a prayer day. Um, and, and suddenly our, our prayers were seeing Burundians that they had heard about, you know, maybe two years, maybe 18 years, some of them, and, right. and it became so much more alive. And I would just get in maybe five each week, show a couple of films of beautiful stuff. Uh, we have one guy that literally almost every week sends us a film of this guy. This, this is a cripple, and now he is jumping around. You know, so it's very edifying. Uh, and Esfor's praying that thing that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier. That's probably been seen by tens of thousands of people around the world now because it was so powerful. Yeah. To put it out there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been brilliant. So yeah, it's every Saturday morning at UK time at nine o'clock. It's 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 an effort in a sense, and I don't. I wonder how long we're going to go on for. But it's so fruitful because people feel so connected, and therefore they're praying more and giving a lot of money because they can see that it's producing fruit. So it's been very edifying, and a, a number of people said this is it has been my, the highlight of my lockdown. I've heard that repeatedly, right. which is a great thing to hear. So mm -hmm. yeah, greatlakesoutreach.org is is our charity, and uh, it would be an edifying experience if you wanted to join us at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. Okay. okay. Great. Well, thanks so much, Simon. Thank you Real for pleasure. sharing your story. I think, I mean, there's been so much food for thought, it's hard to highlight any one thing. Um, but I, I hope that um, all of you will uh, have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, so that's it for the interview. Again, if you'd like to see any others in this series, do go across to fieldpartner.org and find out more about um, what we're doing as well. Find out more about Simon's work by visiting his site. We're going to have those links down below. And please also do like our Facebook page and subscribe to our newsletters. So bye-bye for now and see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.